Welcome to the Wagging Tails podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Noble Canine, canine behavioural specialists and dog trainers. We provide global online consultations and training, as well as physical training and behavioural rehabilitation within Singapore. On this episode of the Wagging Tail podcast, we have Chris from Buddy Bites. So let's dive right into it, Chris. Tell us a little bit about yourself and about Buddy Bites. Absolutely. Uh, so I am one of the founders of Buddy Bites. Uh, Buddy Bites is Asia's first uh, and only purpose-driven uh, dog food brand. Um, the purpose-driven aspect of that is that for every two kilograms of our food that we sell, we donate one kilogram to dog shelters. So the, uh, the business was very much born out of wanting to support the dog shelters here in Asia and it remains a very key part of the business. So you started off in Hong Kong, so tell us a little bit about what actually made you start it. What happened that triggered you leaving your old career into starting Buddy Bites? Sure, yeah, it wasn't an obvious uh, step from financial services into dog food, um, I appreciate that, but it came out of a conversation over dinner. Um, my co-founder, Ryan, uh, was round at our house for dinner, um, he had just completed an MBA and was very keen to look at a subscription-based business model in Hong Kong. He was just unsure as to what product might, might work well for it. Um, over dinner, we, he, I think he or I were talking about how inconvenient it was to buy dog food in Hong Kong. Uh, he noticed a big sort of sack of dog food in, in a, the corner of our kitchen taking up far too much space. That looks inconvenient. Um, it was. We got chatting about it. And, um, and the, the more we sort of delved into it, we realized that there weren't many options for buying dog food in Hong Kong mm-hmm. at the time. You know, we live in a world where you can get pretty much any product now at the touch of a button through an app, through you know, Deliveroo, whatever it may be, um, or indeed ordering online. And yet, within the dog food space, people are still going down to the bricks and mortar shops and lugging a 20 kilo sack of kibble home um, dragging it up the, up the stairs of their walk-up flat in Hong Kong, and it just seemed that things hadn't moved on in that space. Um, the other issues, of course, with, with that uh, way of going about it is that you constantly run out. Anyone that says that they haven't run out of dog food is lying, <laughs> myself included. And so because you run out, you think, oh, I'll get more this time, so it's an even heavier bag. And it's just self-perpetuating. So we felt that there was a better way to do it. And we just got talking more and more about it. Um, I think that given this was Ju- June, July 2020, we were in the middle of COVID in Hong Kong, you know, a variety of, um, sort of lockdowns going on. We, did, we were in a fortunate position, I suppose, to have a bit more time on our hands than if we were going into the office all the time. Um, so we were able to juggle these things as the ideas developed into uh, actually going ahead and setting up the business. Nice. So... It started off that way, but what made you come in towards the shelter side of things to support them? What did you notice in Hong Kong that made you want to do that rather than just going for purely money-making? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, we, at the time, uh, I had adopted, my, my, my fiancé and I had adopted two dogs from one of the shelters, Catherine's Puppies. Uh, we adopted Nacho first, who is now the company logo with his goofy ears. And we then, shortly after, six months after, adopted our second, Nala. Um, So we were acutely aware of how much support the shelters in Hong Kong need. Um, And I think like with anyone who has adopted from any of the shelters, there is that underlying urge to try to help them out because these dogs become part of your family um, and you're very keen to to give back and and help because the shelters are completely reliant on on people's generosity um, and so any way that people can help we're very keen to do so um, so this became one of the three key pillars of the business from, from the get go it was a non-negotiable you know, we're going to look to give back in some way um, and I, for complete transparency it's also been a huge help in grabbing people's attention um, as, as we develop the brand you know, if you, I imagine as, as a dog owner if you're sat there seeing your dog happy on what they're being fed give me a good reason to change the brand. And I think that really did act as the, the, uh, the factor that differentiates us from other brands out there. 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I can appreciate that with uh, with what we do. When we first, well, when I first started it, it was a lot to do with working with the animal welfare groups because I could see the struggles that other people were having. Okay, it's a service, not so much a product, but I can appreciate the similar kind of uh, pathway there. Because mm. when you see struggles with them feeding the dogs in the shelters, that's somewhat similar to seeing the behavioural issues that they're having and not having enough people to actually help. So that's why we put the time in mm. up there. Which kind of makes me think, why did you guys decide to actually give food rather than giving money or doing a drive to donate time? I'm not really sure. I think that, I mean, we are, we are a startup. Yeah. And anyone that <laughs> runs a startup will tell you cash flow, it's not exactly in, in abundance. So I don't think we we're in a position to be mm-hmm. saying we, we will be able to contribute X amount in dollars every month. But I think by creating a really simple business model of every two kgs we sell, we will donate one. It keeps it really simple. It also allows our customers to be the ones that are donating. We create the platform for them to do it. But if you know that if 10 kilograms of food turns up at your door on a Friday, you know you've donated five through the really simple business model. So we felt that it was just a nicer way of doing it. I think that, uh, I mean, they, they do receive donations from a number of um, people like to donate every month and they have cash coming in. It's nowhere near enough to run profitably or anything like that, but they do have help. And I think that what we wanted to do was take the issue of food costs off their plate. Yep. The biggest costs, I mean, after renting, but they're normally out in the hills somewhere, so rent isn't astronomical, but food costs and then vet bills. You know, these are the two concerns for most of the shelters that we, we work with. So if we could take away the, the concern of feeding the dogs, it just leaves all money coming in, going to vet bills, and I think it just makes it easier for them to manage. Um, so, yeah, so we, we, we started with Catherine's Puppies, um, and we very quickly got to the point where we were covering their monthly needs uh, so that was about 450 kilograms per month at that point it was time to add shelter number two uh, which was Hong Kong Dog Rescue um, and that's the way that we like to build things up we get to a point where our monthly sales are enough to cover their monthly needs then we're going to have a surplus and we can approach shelter number two and then shelter number three the, the end goal being to feed all sheltered dogs in Asia that's always been our sort of ethos so you've seen a big improvement in the feeding challenges that they're facing in Hong Kong by doing this? I'd certainly like to think so, yeah. yeah. We, we now support, um, I think it's seven shelters in, in Hong Kong and, and two mm-hmm. here in Singapore. That, yeah, that, that's seven shelters that no longer have to worry pay a penny food. for food or worry about food turning up. It's, it's not uh, food that's going out of date. It's not food in damaged packaging. This is the, the same food that we send out to our customers. Um, I think last month we donated over five and a half tons across Hong Kong and Singapore uh, to our shelter partners. So, yes, I would um, humbly like to say that we, we've, we've made a difference. Um, I would certainly hope they think so. Thank you for that. And um, so what drove the move to Singapore? The move to Singapore. So we had been operating in Hong Kong for, I think, 18 months and things had been going really, really well it was getting to the point then of how do we expand from here Singapore seemed like an obvious next step Um, it's another expat community it's on our doorstep Um, we felt that there would be very very easy wins there in terms of plug and play we wouldn't have to change the business model in particular uh, to to get into that market Um, a lot of people had asked me whether it was actually because of what was going on in Hong Kong at the time Um, they had just started blaming COVID on hamsters, so it, it was also a pretty good time to get out of there for pastures new for, for Emily and I. Um, but no, it was it was completely down to what's the next market that we feel would be uh, a good one for, for the business model that we offer, and it's gone incredibly well so far. So, um, I mean, there, there have been, there has been a learning curve. It hasn't been a carbon copy of Hong Kong, um, but it's been pretty close to it, and it's allowed Ryan and I and the team uh, to be based in Hong Kong and Singapore to still interact and we still all go to Hong Kong for the for the expo event so we, we can also interact with each other rather than the second market being too far away so that's been great right right so 
just to jump back to the shelters a little bit, other than adopting your dogs, did you have any involvement with the shelters before doing buddy bites? Not really, no. I mean, as many guys will say, that their, their partner will probably drag them to puppy adoption uh, events um, at every opportunity to, um, to play with every single puppy and give you that look of when can we get one. Um, but no, it, it had been really driven out of um, adopting R2. And then you've just opened up a bit more to, to that whole world. Um, but knowing other people within Hong Kong who had also adopted, so you do start to hear about it. And Hong Kong's a very small place, um, so word gets around, you do hear about these things. Um, the dog community and the shelter dog community in Hong Kong is incredibly tight-knit as well. So um, once you're plugged into it, you, you start to get exposed to it more and more. Uh, but there is an incredibly supportive environment in, in Hong Kong and Singapore for, for the shelter dogs. Uh, so it was one that we were confident people would get behind. Funnily enough, that's exactly how I ended up having to completely change my life because I got dragged down to a puppy drive. There you go, exactly. I'm not, I'm not the only one, at least. <laughs> Great, so um, that's kind of how your relationships developed with the shelters. What do you do to actually decide which shelters you work with? Do you just sort of pick randomly or do you have a system? What do you do there? It's, it's not so much names in a hat. It's, um, it happened quite organically really so Catherine's Puppies was the obvious first choice for us uh, given we'd adopted two and Ryan has, has since adopted one uh, from, from Catherine as well um, and she's been magnificent in sort of shouting about Buddy Bites to all her sort of Facebook network and that sort of thing and helping us get off the ground and then Hong Kong Dog Rescue came along I think that they had actually asked Catherine who's this company that you've been posting about and we then went and chatted with them three months later we were at a point where we had a surplus and then they were our second. And then it sort of materializes from there. It starts to gather pace and other shelters start contacting us. When we moved to Singapore, it was very much us sort of emailing and trying to call and WhatsApp all the shelters. And we picked the one that came back to us first and that was SOSD. Um, but in Hong Kong, as I say, very small place, word gets around and shelters would start to approach us or customers of ours would say, really like what you're doing I adopted mine from Cycling Strays and Friends would you please consider uh, helping them out here's the contact number for the person that runs it and so it starts to um, snowball in in that way Uh, but there's no strict selection process from our side Um, you know we move to a new country we'll try to contact as many as possible knowing that they're all incredibly busy and only one or two will come up come back to you initially that was SOSD um, we are now covering SOSD completely on a monthly basis and therefore we, we've added shelter number two which is Madame Wong's uh, shelter and friends which just happens to be next door to SOSD they've seen deliveries arriving and what's going on here um, and they said ah you should speak to Buddy Bites and so we've got shelter number three lined up ready for when we're covering Madame Wong's so it's never that we get to a point where a shelter will be ditched and we move on to another one it will always be in addition to um, and we'll, we'll sort of bolt on more and more shelters and the, with every one that you add on two more hear about it so they start to approach us so we've been very lucky in that way they're going to see large vans arriving and then they're going to start asking yeah, I mean, yeah. well I mean the, the donations that we drop off at uh, SOSD aren't, aren't small it's, of course it's a of course. van with a, with a pallet packed <laughs> high 750 kilograms you know you're getting close to a ton of food that, that's yeah. not snuck in through the back door so, <laughs> so they do um, sort of wonder what's going on start asking questions and that's great it, it saves us right. sort of blanket emailing people <laughs> so that's SOSD and Madam Wong's currently being supported in Singapore right? yes that's right so if there are any more shelters that want to get into contact with you how do they go about doing that? through any of our platforms uh, Instagram uh, which is at buddybites.sg or uh, they can email me chris at buddybites.dog or it's very easy to reach us through our website um, we are whether that be the shelters themselves or whether that be uh, adopters who want to put us in touch or recommend different shelters for us to get involved in um, we're really keen to, to speak to any of them awesome nice well you mentioned about the dog community in Hong Kong being very small and Singapore being a bit more bit larger, a bit more complicated. Um, is that something that's very important to you guys, both personally and as a business? Because I know for us, B 
being part of the dog community is quite an important thing personally as well as for Noble Canine. Mm. Um, although I do understand that it can get quite political sometimes, mm. uh, which you've got to watch out for, obviously. Mm. But uh, like when you get all the groups on Facebook and the events that people go to and all of that sort of stuff, tell us a little bit more about your involvement or where you want that involvement to get to within Singapore, Hong Kong, or even the rest of Asia eventually. Yeah, I mean, we, we get involved in as many events as we can because we're a young brand. You know, we've been here for, for eight months. It's all gone very well, but just being in front of people is the, the main thing for us. So you'll see us popping up at, at all sorts of events. Um, we've actually got a, an adoption drive with SOSD, um, which is Life One North on the 20th of August. Uh, so we're popping up at another one there. Um, in terms of getting involved in, in the dog community, I think the main thing for us is that we're here for everyone. You know, our, our dog food is premium European-made, vet-backed food. Yes, we support the shelters, but we're here to, to supply to whoever would like to try our brand. I think <coughs> Facebook can be a complete minefield, so it's you've you got to sort of tread very carefully, and we don't want to be sort of getting too political or dividing opinion. Um, yeah. I think that, that that is a little bit more prevalent here in Singapore than, than we saw in Hong Kong. Um, but it, it's not for us to start weighing in on topics that have nothing to do with us. You know, we're here to provide a, a delivery service of premium dog food. We also give back. But beyond that, you know, I think we certainly try, try to stay out of it. Yeah, I mean, that's something that we can't really stay out as much as you guys. But um, <laughs> Unlucky. <laughs> well, to be honest, it's, I don't actually mind it so much because it gives you a chance to educate. And that's very important to me. That's, that's basically our whole mm. shtick is to help educate people who have dogs or are thinking about dogs um, and one thing that I do notice when I because we don't although we do physical work in Singapore we do a lot of online work in the UK US and Australia we've, we've got clients in Hong Kong stuff like that and when you go into those groups and those sort of communities there's less divisiveness and that doesn't mean that it's better or worse but a lot of it comes from the adopt versus buying and it's something that I like to try and ensure people understand is that all of us are dog lovers this is the thing mm. and or animal lovers or animal lovers yeah. yeah so it's not as if anybody's any better or any worse than anybody else and you get it on both sides of the, mm. the camp if you like and uh, when I've spoken to even Family members, I was about to call out who it was, but I'm not. Um, <laughs> even family members, when they said, oh, should we adopt from a shelter? And I took a look at their dynamic of the family and I took a look at their lifestyles and I was like, do you know what? If you're wanting to adopt, you're actually better finding somebody who's got a litter of puppies that are looking for a good home because if you get a dog from a shelter, you're talking about behavioural issues. And quite frankly, you're not, you don't have the capacity to handle that and rehabilitate that behaviour and train the dog up because training's not an option when you've got dogs who have been through some of the stuff that they have in mm. shelters it's it's a requirement it's a requirement for every dog but especially for those guys coming in it's very much a requirement so as much as I've got rescue dogs, you've got rescue dogs Jay's got rescue dogs that's because we're in a position where we have got the capacity to handle that and put in the work if you've got somebody working like you used to in the financial sector and you're doing like 12 to 18 hours a day mm. or like I used to do years and years and years ago when I was offshore, like there's no way I would be able to handle a rescue dog if I was away for half of the year. Mm. So you can't judge people for what their decisions are no. at all. And when you're working within anything due to dog services or dog products, it is for everybody and there shouldn't be any divisiveness regardless what the argument is whether it be mm. nutrition or methodology or the way that you care for your dog it, do you know what it's all about helping each other and educating each other mm. and I like that that's not something that you try to separate because that we are somewhat similar in that regard no I completely agree and I think having adopted from a shelter I can certainly see it from both sides you know I grew of up with dogs in the UK none of them were rescues um, yeah. and so I get it and it, it's just not for us 
to judge. I don't think it's for a lot of people to judge, but Facebook can become particularly judgy very quickly. It's really, really what we've found. Um, and, and it's unfair because people rarely know the, the full scenario, whether that's adopting or whether that's people are relocating and their situation yeah. doesn't permit that they take their dog. Now, you know, this, this will again divide opinion, but it's something that we... Yeah, we completely appreciate everyone's situation is different. I know that in Singapore it is made somewhat harder to adopt because of certain housing developments not allowing uh, adopted yep. dogs and, and that sort of thing. So there's far more to it. Um, yeah. And so it's really not for us. Um, it's not that we're, we're sat there itching to get involved, but we hold our tongue. It's, it's it's actually, it's, you know, it's, not, it's none of our business, well, really. It's, it's <laughs> a whole thing of, of, are you qualified to weigh into the conversation? Yeah. And a lot of people weigh into conversations that they're not. No. Qualified. Oh, everyone's an expert on Facebook. Well, that's it, yeah. That's the, oh. that's the thing. Oh. Like <laughs> Facebook. Forget, forget the years that you studied that topic at university. Yeah. I read it in five minutes on exactly. Google. Exactly. So I've, I've done a Google search, so sit yeah. back and listen. Well, that's why when people ask me about like the likes of nutrition, I always say, hey, we've actually got a podcast with a PhD animal nutritionist. Mm. So how about you don't talk to the person who spent a decade of their life studying dog psychology? Yeah. You know, like... That's not the person to talk to about your nutrition and your dogs. I can't even set nutrition for myself. I'd rather have a pizza and beer every night. So <laughs> you can't ask me for that kind of advice. Oh, see, my problem is I know how to do the nutrition for myself. I just prefer pizza. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the interesting thing as well when we talk about the quality of food is a lot of people will go to the very, very top level for their pets or they'll expect themselves to, but then they'll order a McDonald's as well. Yeah. So, do you know what, that'll actually move us on to the next part that I want to talk about, which is actually nutrition. So, a lot of people might have actually listened to our episode, it was episode four, where we had Dr. Francis Cabana on, talking about animal nutrition, and specifically dogs and cats. And the thing that I always have to remind people of is when they listen to that episode, that is the perfect scenario. Mm. Like, that's if... You've got no money worries, you've got all the time in the world, you've got the capacity to do everything that you want to do, and you can get the correct ingredients, and you can do home-cooked or home-prepared, and you can do that top-of-the-level, gentle-cooked or raw diet. But the reality is... is not everyone that's has that time. Exactly. It's not, it's not necessarily realistic for everybody. I mean, I know within myself, I've got my combined weight of my three dogs is over 90 kilograms. Mm. So the amount of food those boys go through is yeah. if I was to to pay for like premium, raw, perfect, every... Bison meat. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> Bison, it's, yeah. it's going to cost me an absolute fortune. Yeah. Quite frankly, it's not going to be sustainable. Well, you'll need another fridge as well for home. It'll yeah. take up an entire uh, well, That's something fridge. I've been having to try and get for ages. <laughs> I actually have one. Yeah, that's because of the bar. A wine, a wine fridge doesn't count. Jack. No, no, no. So I, I actually got a chest freezer. Got a chest freezer. I want to open up. Yeah, because I, I, I do set aside the time to, yeah. to cook for my girls and things like that. But um, I order in bulk, like frozen meats, all different parts, like the lungs, the livers, the mm. muscle meats, the mince, whatsoever. Yeah. And then I actually spend like every Monday of the week just sitting there for like four to five hours and they're just slowly portioning out. Meal prep. Yeah, each of every. It's exactly yeah. like like you would have probably done the same, but like when I was doing like rugby and bodybuilding and things like that, you spend a full day on yeah. like Monday or Sunday just preparing Perfect. your food. Sunday's just you and Tupperware. Yeah, hours, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, I I always used to do it with the barbecue, so it was a little bit more fun. Yeah, you know, but you do kind of get sick of eating barbecue every day. Yeah, chicken uh, and broccoli on on exactly. repeat is is no no fun. Yeah, it's not much fun, which kind of makes me feel a little bit like that with the dogs as well I mean what sort of challenges did you face when you were trying to put buddy bites together mm. because I know dogs don't necessarily care as much I mean they're like that scene in Monty Python when they get the same grill every day they're like oh it's a gift from God <laughs> but you know as humans we like to give our dogs a little bit more of a variety Yeah. so what have you guys done at buddy bites with regards to setting the nutrition and the different proteins and different ingredients to ensure there's a good range for yeah. the dogs? No, it's, it's a good question because it, it's paramount and the dogs going back to their bowl over and over is obviously something that we can't completely control but we hope for. So yeah, the nutrition side is the second of the big pillars of the business after giving back um, and we've tried to 
go above and beyond at every point because you know, my background, as, as we said, financial services, this is not an area that I was particularly knowledgeable in. So we have sought out um, the expertise of professionals. So we've spoken with dog nutritionists, with uh, sort of global uh, vets that have basically sat down with us and said, right, what are you trying to create? Is this for uh, particular breeds? Do you want to go down the scientific route? Or What we decided was that we wanted kibbles for very much born out of Hong Kong environment we yeah. wanted them for all breeds shapes and sizes we didn't want to pigeonhole it like you'll see some brands do they're bigger brands and they can afford yeah. to do it but this is kibble for a Labrador this is for an Alsatian which is another th- a topic to, to discuss its benefits or not but we wanted it to be quite generic suitable for all we did it. we started with a puppy kibble and an adult kibble which was duck we made sure that vets were involved in every step of um, the sort of formulation uh, consulting us on this we sought out the biggest and best producers globally uh, that are based in Europe so that we were assured of the standards that the production would be held to um, we work with an AFCO regulated um, um, formulator in the US who advises us on sort of which way to go on uh, ingredients for new recipes we've opted for novel proteins with every adult recipe to avoid triggering allergies. So our mm. adult recipes are duck, uh, lamb, salmon and sweet potato, and in a month we're going to be launching a fresh turkey and sweet potato. Mm. So these are, I mean, everyone assumes that their dog's allergic to chicken, which is, which is interesting. Um, it's actually, I think, when I last checked, it's, it's actually number four in terms of the most common allergy no, within adult dogs. But as soon as the dog starts scratching, people are throwing chicken carcasses out the window. It's, um, but it's something that we, we have been mindful of because obviously we want people to go, go ahead and buy the food. So we've gone with proteins that are less likely to trigger these things. We have two vets that are part of the business who oversee and manage third-party lab testing of all our recipes. So they will be tested at production, but then they're coming from Europe. So they're coming a long, long way. Um, and so we use a third-party lab to test them on arrival for all of the big sort of product recalls that have been over the past decade or so to make sure that we are providing as top quality product as we possibly can. You know, we, we are a small startup at the moment in a market driven by an oligopoly of sort of three big, I mean most, most pet food brands are owned by either Mars, Nestle or Colgate. Not yeah. everyone is aware of that, but I'm afraid they are. Um, well, even Akana has just been bought over by Mars. Yeah, do you know how much for? No, I don't One know. One billion US. Oh. <laughs> well, it's Alcana and Origin that are part of, yeah. I think it was competitive food, something like that. That was the parent company. The Canadian they were bought, brand. Yeah, they were bought for, uh, for a billion US. So That'd it's a market that gets, that gets swallowed up by the big guys. So mm. Ryan and I are very aware of this, so we've got to be going above and beyond what others are doing yeah. to stay ahead of the game and not be sort of criticised exactly yeah. right yeah I mean it's the same as any sort of uh, industry or sub-industry like if you're a small player you've got mm. to make sure what, what's your unique selling point effectively mm. and when you're small quality is slightly easier to yeah. har- harbour onto well exactly so we're, so we're very comfortable with, uh, with the people that we have sought advice from and who we've brought into the business to consult constantly so our vets are available for uh, customers' questions. We've got FAQs on the on the website that are driven completely by our vets. We we push out vet-driven content to try and sort of educate mm. just interesting topics uh, that so might help our customers. When you're saying vets, are these vets that specialise in nutrition? No, so they don't specialise in nutrition per se, which is why we work with a nutritionist okay. um, from AFCO in, in the US, and they work very closely together. It's more about what do they see as issues day to day in the clinic that they, they just because they're seeing so many dogs coming through the clinic exactly yeah. it's you know that they're more sort of right well we, we've seen dogs with this problem that problem we think that this type of recipe would help with that yeah um you know please add in uh, biotin to help with um sort of coat care please add in lots of omega-3 mm-hmm. fatty acids um to help with skin uh, issues you know, skin issues in Singapore is quite a big one just because of the humidity yeah. so no, knowing what people are going to the vets for is a very good place for us to start with what should we address mm-hmm. in the food because it all you know, your gut is your second brain yeah. you know, it, it all starts from yeah. there well I mean that's something that's a big topic that I was talking about not so long ago is the gut brain connection and the very strong relationship between your gut or the, your dog's gut 
and their behaviour because that's a huge one as well so if your dog's getting a crap diet then you end up calling somebody like us and saying oh my dog's being reactive well a lot of the time you've got to look at the diet and make sure that your dog's not on something which is giving them an upset stomach yeah. I mean, if you ate McDonald's every day for six months, I guarantee you'd be doing behaviour that you wouldn't be doing now. Yeah, I'd be sleeping more, I imagine. Well, yeah, there's that. You'd probably <laughs> also have did. a... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was that? They did a movie about that, didn't they? Super size. Super size. Yeah. But, I mean, the behaviour is massively affected and your, your cognitive function's effective, affected. So it's, it's something that I think is very, very important with regard mm-hmm. to nutrition, um, which... Which leads me to ask, how did you choose which nutritionist to pick? And how did you choose your vets as well? Like, Was that something you guys looked it into? It was asking around, actually. Okay. Um, so on the vet side, weirdly enough, I had met one of our vets, Dr. Tiff, uh, because I had taken uh, one of our two, Nala, in to be... She, I think she'd managed to eat a dead fish on the beach or something like that, so we, we, we rushed her in, and, and Tiff had looked after her. And then... We were introduced through a friend of a friend when we were talking about we're starting up this business and we'd, we'd really like to have vet input. I said, oh, you should speak to uh, my aunt, who then said, ah, my, uh, my friend Tiff is also a vet. We'd like to be involved together. So it was just another one of those Hong Kong nepotism um, things that happened. And they've been great. They've been sort of getting stuck into anything and everything. Um, and they keep uh, Ryan and myself completely in check on the on the intricate details of um, things like the feeding guidelines that we put onto the website and the packaging. Um, these are things that are very much driven by, by our vets and, and, and not from us. Um, in terms of the AFCO nutritionist, we were introduced by our supplier. Uh, when we, so we, we started, as I say, very simple, one adult recipe, one puppy. When we wanted to develop new recipes, when the business started to pick up, we were talking to our supplier closely about, you know, how do we best go about this? And they said, we know someone who's based in the US who would love to help you with this. So we you know, take their advice massively on these things. Um, and these, these are also things that are ever-changing. Um, you know, what was a novel protein um, you know, two years ago now isn't considered so, and mm-hmm. premium carbs and, and what else should go in there. It's ever-evolving. So being in close contact with people that really know the ins and outs of this has been a massive help for us. Okay, so... How did you choose to go for a European supplier then? That was more a case of when we're looking at the the biggest and, and best. You know, they've got a great mm. reputation. There are other companies who, in the UK, have been doing very similar, if not the same, uh, business model to ours. The subscription-based delivery, yeah. uh, the likes of Tails.com, um, mm. who were bought by Nestle uh, a few years ago. Post that acquisition, they still use the same supplier that we do to make their food. Now, you could argue that after being acquired by Nestle, you could bring all of that in-house, but they choose not to. They choose to still go to to this supplier. So when you when you hear sort of things like this, it's quite a good sort of backing up of, mm-hmm. of your choice. Um, we had to do our due diligence of asking around, speaking to several suppliers. We just felt this one was the best equipped. They're huge. They've, they've grown massively since we uh, started working with them mm. and they're just the best placed supplier to help us to keep expanding our, our uh, sort of kibble and, and treats and all sorts of the sort of product portfolio. Nice. So you've got your vets in Hong Kong. You've been, uh, I know that you've actually been reaching out to a few vets in mm. Singapore because I helped with that. Yes. So <laughs> have you found who you're actually going to be working with now? We've started producing some content with... Um, the lady from Namley. Dr. Amanda. Yes, that's her. Um, so that is something that is ongoing at the moment. We have a, a girl, Laura, in our team who's based here in Singapore who is fantastic. She runs all of our social media accounts and uh, drives the... Yeah. <laughs> I think she made it very clear the further Ryan and I are away from the social media, the better. Um, <laughs> because we are relative dinosaurs now. Um, but she also does all the sort of uh, creative content um, and that sort of thing. So... Uh, after my chat with Amanda, um, I introduced her to Laura, and they've been, they will be this week actually filming uh, on a few different topics that we hope people will find interesting uh, from from vets. Um, in terms of Namley's involvement in the business, it's it's more helping out with some content that we think will be interesting for our yeah. for our followers on Instagram, etc., rather than 
the same sort of consultation that we have from our current vets in Hong Kong. They're, they're very much part of the business. Um, but Amanda has been kind enough to do some sort of Singaporean-based uh, content for us. Nice. Yeah, we're actually hoping to have uh, Dr. Amanda on the podcast at some stage as well. That would be great. Yeah. She's, really, she's helped uh, my boy Aramis massively with his allergies. Right. Yeah, we, we went to a load of different vets and... It was all just sort of like being managed, but not getting better. Mm. And then I just I went to Namley again because I couldn't get an appointment with my normal vet at that point. So I went back down to Namley, and actually, she just bought over the clinic. And when I went in there, her knowledge on skincare and allergies with dogs is just tremendous. Mm. And she just sorted it out fairly quickly. It was great. Yeah. No, yeah. she's great. Yeah, really fun. I think it was actually her that had mentioned in Singapore that the skin allergies is such a common thing that, well, that you get people going in for. One thing that people do forget about that kind of thing is that dogs, domestic dogs, are not native to the tropics. Yeah. And people are like, oh yeah, but they're, they're Southeast Asian street dogs or they're jungle dogs. Like, yeah, but that's fairly not by recent. choice. Yeah. You know, like the dogs. Zoom out. Yeah, <laughs> zoom out quite a fair bit, you know. Yeah. Dogs are not meant to be thriving in this kind of environment which is why you get so many humans are not meant to be thriving in this environment well, no, either. certain humans are and that's the thing <laughs> but it's, it's, a good, it's a good example of it actually like I know that I sweat tremendously more than you do <laughs> you know I, I know that since my daughter's been born it's actually great for me because before I'd be like oh can we please put the aircon on and my wife is from Singapore would be like no I'm, I'm actually quite comfortable right now and I'm dying so now that my daughter's around and she's uh, got a good streak of uh, Scottish blood in her every time every time there's a small small drip of sweat the aircon goes you're on you're building up some support are you <laughs> absolutely absolutely so yeah I mean it's, it's an important factor that people forget which is why it does become so important that you're aware of these kind of things not just for their health and their diet and things like that but that's also why you get a lot more behavioural issues in this kind of climate and a lot of people that move to more temperate climates they find that their dog's behaviour settles a little bit and a lot of that's got to do with the environment yeah. it's not always the food that's the allergy because a lot of people will blame the food and they just say oh it's chicken or it's this, it's mm. that but a lot of the time it's actually environmental and it could be something as simple as changing your floor cleaner or something simple as do you know what maybe sweep your house a little bit more clean yeah. your house a little bit more maybe avoid this patch of grass or, yeah things yeah. like that I mean to be honest the number of houses I've been in that people say oh our dogs got really bad allergies and I look around their house and I'm thinking when was the last time you guys bloody clean because <laughs> that's probably why your dog's suffering because yeah. you know dust mites and things like that are a big thing grasses are a big thing tropical grasses are not the same as grasses in temperate climates so a lot of the time dogs will suffer from that and it's because Genetically, they're not supposed to be in the tropics, you know? So it's not always the food. I always feel that people point the finger at the food really, Plus, really quickly yeah. without actually having done allergen tests or food trials or anything like that. Because if you go through all the food trials and nothing's helping, it's not food. Yeah. You know, and that's something that I've noticed. I suppose, it, it, in fairness, it, it's the variable that people can see change and it's the, the one you can control yeah. exactly I've changed the dog my, my dog's food they've had a bad tummy therefore it's definitely the food it's like, well zoom out again you know yeah. it could be a number of things what happened on that day you know what, what was going on in the environment were they nervous about something yep. um, was it dusty was it you know they could have sniffed or eaten something on their walk it could be all sorts of things and fussy eating as well you know people yeah. are very quick to, to say it's the food 95% of the time I'm sure you'll on this it's a behavioural issue rather than well, the food itself it's a comfort um, issue yeah. yeah I did a piece of content a few months ago about contra freeloading which is basically teaching your dog how to work for food and the number of people that I got emailing me or messaging me and just saying oh my god that sorted out my dog's picky eating I'm like yeah because quite frankly if you not that you get this in Singapore and I don't think you get it in Hong Kong but if you talk to people that are on welfare, or as we would say, on the dole, mm. you know, they're getting money for free. They're not needing to work for it. They're supposed to be looking for jobs, but let's be honest, most of them don't. But you actually, actually, you actually have to ask yourself, are they actually happy? 
And if they ask themselves and they're honest about it, they're not going to be that happy. And the dogs are the same. If you're just giving them food, they're going to start to get quite picky. They're going to start to get a wee bit apathetic about their food. But the moment you start saying, hey, you've got to do X, Y, and Z to get this food, it drives that a lot more. Yeah. So a lot of picky eating can actually be sorted out through a little bit of effort on the human side mm -hmm. and building that contra freeloading which also means that you're in a good opportunity to start doing more training, mm -hmm. which, as I said previously, is essential to have a happy, safe dog anyway. Yeah. We've, been, we've been very lucky that, well, that, so much luck, we, we, we picked the right people to, to work with, yeah. it seems, because you, know, you can set up everything about the, the business, um, you know, the, the operations side, the finance side, whatever it is, but if the dogs aren't eating the food, this, this business doesn't go very far. Yeah. Um, so. The advice that we've sought and the suppliers that we've opted to, to go with have been fantastic and luckily for us you know, this has resulted in, in food that even fussy eaters have been going for, yeah. um, which, is, which has been, well, great because <laughs> you need the dogs to eat the food. Yeah, I mean, I know when, we, when you guys sent over some for us to try, my boys ate it up, they absolutely yeah. loved it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right, so, even though I cook for my girls, I still have like a big bag of kibble at home. I still have some canned food at home. Yeah, just prepared. A lot of our customers mix it, you know, mm -hmm. and, and we we mix it yeah. with with bits of veg that we perhaps didn't get through, or um, some freeze dried pellets that we <laughs> might do. We're in a very fortunate position. We get sent samples uh, from different suppliers all the time, so they're basically <laughs> the guinea pigs for all these things. Um, but yeah, we, we do like to mix it. I think everyone wants to give their dogs some variety. Yeah, um, yeah. And there's absolutely nothing from wrong with that. KFC so. once in a while. Well, <laughs> far, in my opinion, but, you know, each of their own. But, I mean, that's actually something that Dr. Francis mentioned in that podcast. He was saying that in a more realistic setting, yeah, you will be giving kibble, but it's important that you give them some fresh food on once top of that, while. just so that there's that diversity and you're getting those different nutrients. But yeah. you've got that staple that's... You know, got a, got a longer shelf life. That's going to be a more consistent nutritional yeah. aspect because when you were saying earlier about oh, I changed my dog's diet and they got the runs mm. and they got an upset tummy. Tummy. Well, do you know what? That's because you've changed their diet immediately. You've got to slowly transition yeah. transition into different foods. Yeah, absolutely. We we recommended a sort of two to three day transition period of mm. mixing the old recipe into the new. Um, yeah. I mean, our two. Um, our sheltered dogs they've got iron gut that we, I could swap them back and forth between meals and they, they wouldn't notice the difference it'd be fine but mm. there are dogs out there with more sensitive stomachs so it is important to, to transition it well ironically my two younger ones they thought well the younger ones are not that young anymore mm. but Athos and Porthos they've got iron guts yeah um, but Athos, he can sometimes have a wee bit of a delicate stomach, yeah. <laughs> which is hilarious because when you look at him, you think there's nothing delicate about that no. dog. <laughs> but you see him with my daughter and you see him eating, he's just a big gentle idiot, really. Yeah. He's not idiot. But yeah. Okay, so that's absolutely great. Um, we've got a lot, you've shared so much with us, which is fantastic. And I know that a lot of people are going to be really happy to hear about what you've been doing with the shelters and how the journey came about because... I know for myself, it's a little bit of a cliche, but I prefer to support smaller businesses that are growing rather than supporting the huge businesses and things like that. Because, you know, you, especially when you're a business owner yourself, you want to be supporting people that are also in a similar position yeah, to you. you. Grow together. Exactly. Mm. And especially if you can grow together. But I mean, even just supporting by being a customer is very important mm -hmm. for, for a lot of people. So just... To project forward, could you tell us what you're thinking about the future of Buddy Bites? Like, so you've done so much, but what's going forward to make it so that you're actually going to be able to supply to every dog shelter in yeah. Asia? Um, so it's, it's continue to add on. I think we've got a couple more things to add to our product portfolio until we're pretty much there. I don't mm -hmm. think we want to end up with sort of 25 different options of recipe but I think uh, we're launching fresh turkey and sweet potato this summer after that maybe another puppy one uh, we've, we've only got one puppy at the moment perhaps a fish based puppy option um, we've got some uh, new treats premium treats that we're developing that will be coming out early next year after that I think we're in a good position to start looking at um, a push into retail we've mm -hmm. um, now started uh, doing so in Hong Kong um, working with a couple of retailers there um, and it's, it's going well so far uh, we'd like to start doing that in Singapore 
some people do just prefer to buy in person. And that's absolutely fine. Um, you know, the third pillar to our business is the convenience of having a subscription automatically renewing and being delivered to your door. But some prefer to buy it in a shop. So we, we, we just want to be um, wherever people want to buy it. After that, it's adding new locations. Um, I think that towards the end of this year, we'll hopefully be adding two more geographies, um, one in Asia, one a bit further afield, um, and then next year, another big market, uh, hopefully all going well. Um, there was talk of, are you guys gonna start doing cat food? Um, but I think that when we started weighing that up, there are some easy wins there in terms of we've got the logistics set up and we know how to set up our, our website and all that sort of thing. For that. Yeah, exactly. But it's a, it's a different business. You know, there aren't, some would argue, some people have cats and dogs, but they're the minority. You know, people are either cat lovers or dog lovers, I think, en masse. And therefore, it's a new social media, it's a new website, it's a new this, that, and the other. So we decided, no, we're going to stick to what we're good at and we're going to get to a point where our product offering we feel covers whatever anyone will want mm-hmm. and then we just need to start adding adding new countries so a lot of exciting stuff uh, for, for towards the end of this year and, and beyond nice yeah I mean when you're saying about dogs and cats I love both dogs and cats mm. and uh, about two years ago I was thinking to myself well do you know what I might do some study about feline behaviour and see if that's something I want to explore so I did a diploma in feline behaviour and once I'd completed it I decided not to do yeah. it. <laughs> Simply because it was just it was just quite different and I think splitting that would have been a lot for yeah. me personally. So if we were ever to do that, I think it would need to be somebody else that we'd bring in to focus on that solely yeah. so that you don't end up splitting yourself. And I'd imagine it's the same with products. It is, I think. And I, even going back to previous life working within financial services, you, you, you need to be a specialist in something oh, rather yeah. than a generalist. Oh, and I think I mean, that just completely. spreading yourself too thin to try to pander to, it would be, be chasing the, the, the revenue side. Now, that's not what we're, yeah. what we're driven by. Um, I feel that we've, we've tapped into a market that, that really appreciates uh, the brand and the business model. And it's trying to take that to, to new markets, really, rather than diluting it with our, our best effort at, um, at moving into the cat space. Yeah. So dogs only for now. No, I completely agree with that. I mean, even in my previous life with oil and gas, when you went out onto a rig, it would be like, one's a specialist in cement, one's a specialist in mud. You know, I was like riser systems and control systems and every single small part has a specialist because if you're spread too thin, you're more likely to make errors. Yeah. And that's, and quite frankly, you can't afford that Mm. when you're in the middle of the ocean. And that means that if you're having to do that just because you're in an extreme circumstance, it doesn't matter what industry you're in or what product or service you're doing. It's also a very similar sort of situation. Oh, yeah. I mean, you don't go to your GP to talk about your psychological problems. You don't no. go to the physio and start saying, oh, I've got a broken arm. Like, well, that's yeah. not my rule out, really. Yeah. So it's, it's important that people know who to go to and things exactly. like that. If you spread yourself too thin, it does get a little bit watered down, as you say. Yeah, if it's something important, you don't want to be going to someone for advice who has, you know, dabbled in that area. You want to know. You want to know that someone is a specialist in that area and yeah. can trust their opinions. So, uh, so no, that's that's where I see us uh, for the time being. Um, but there's there's so much for us to go at. You know, we're we're, we're quite lucky in Asia um, in that there is a big enough market for us to turn Buddy Bites into something quite quite sizable. But it's also not a big enough market to attract too much attention from you know, VC-backed businesses or mm. indeed the too many of the, of the big boys on Mars, Nestle, Colgate. They mainly operate through distribution, uh, through distributors or indeed through vets. Uh, they're very much on a sort of commission system um, through vets. Not all of them, but, but, but most. Um, and so we have so far had a fairly clear runway in terms of other uh, brands out there to compete against. If we had set up in, for example, London, I'm sure that we would have run into more competition um, oh, at sure. an earlier stage. So, so it's been quite, um, quite a good testing ground. Very, very right place, right time uh, for Ryan and I. All right, that's quite a bit of information. Actually, before that, I, I actually have a question um, for you. I wanted to know if, how are the Hong Kong specials like? 
because over here we have quite a few um, of our own local specials that we see a pattern in some of their behavioral issues. Do you notice anything about those over there? So, That's more of a personal question. I mean, I, I can only really go off, off R2. Yeah, um, so. Those would be the ones that I've obviously had the most interaction with. It's, it's very, very strange because they are two dogs that since they were six months old have lived with us mm -hmm. and lived in the same environment. They eat the same food, they get treated in the same way, but they couldn't be more different. Um, right. One, Nacho is incredibly anxious and in the past, especially in Hong Kong where there are more uh, off-leash dogs in the village that we lived in and that sort of thing, he was quite reactive. Um, it's not because he's aggressive, it's because he's terrified. Yep, um, yep. And then Nala is off in her own little world. Um, you'll find her on her back sleeping most of the time, does not care. Um, and so they're completely different. So it's very hard and very unfair, I think, especially if it's done in a negative way to pigeonhole shelter dogs. Of course. But they're all going to have the same behavioural issues. They're all going to have the X, Y, and Z. Yes, there are some with behavioural issues. There are also pure breeds with behavioural issues. Of course. Um, and so, you know, I know so many families in, uh, in Hong Kong who have adopted and, you know, you see when you go around to their houses, their kids sort of lay on, on the dog like it's a cushion. Mm they're best mates and yeah. they're part of the family and it, it's fantastic so you know and then there's everything in between um, but no I think that there's, there's much variety in the behaviour of shelter dogs as there is with, with pure breeds and it really comes down to how much effort people put into to the training exactly uh, in, in my opinion yeah I mean the thing to remember with stuff like that is, is that yes the breed does have an impact on certain behaviours but every dog is an individual in the same way that every human's an individual. Mm. I mean, you and I, you could argue, have probably got similar-ish genetics. We come from the same mm. region. But even just looking at us, we're quite different. Really? Couldn't tell. <laughs> Both white and have beards. I think that's probably the similarity. <laughs> but um, with dogs, it's somewhat similar, isn't it? I mean, especially when you look at how... The breeding is going. I mean, I've noticed a massive issue with a lot of pedigrees because of puppy mills, and I know you have as well. Mm. Is that there's actually, I would argue that there's more puppy mill dogs with behavioural issues than there are shelter dogs with mm. behavioural issues. Yeah. Because it's a different sort of level of prenatal stressors which is passing on that yeah. that anxiety. Um, the one thing I have noticed that's a little bit different from Hong Kong and Thai specials, Malaysia specials, compared to Singapore specials, just because I've worked with quite a few people that have moved from these countries into Singapore, is that um, there is reactivity in all of them, don't get me wrong, but the flight response in those specials is slightly more pronounced than they are in Singapore specials. Yeah. And I think a lot of that's got to do with space, space and also the fact that there's slightly more working dog breeds mm. that have been left here, left here, or released here, and because there's nowhere for them to go, <laughs> yeah. um, that sort of ends up getting encompassed into the Singapore specials, which is why you end up getting some very large Singapore specials, and mm. it can make them a little bit more tenacious. Um, but just to put on to a point that you mentioned there is that people say, "Oh, that's an aggressive dog." But any aggression, whether it's a dog or whether it's a human or whether it's a bear, there's only two root cause reasons for aggression. And 99% of the time, it's fear in dogs. Mm. The other 1% is when the dog thinks you're food. Mm. <laughs> and the likelihood of that is super low. Yeah. Yeah. So if a dog's showing any aggression, it's fear, generally. Even if it's territorial, that's fear of losing the territory. Yeah, getting invaded. Exactly. So, I mean... These sort of things I feel is quite important for people to understand with mm. regards to the different types of uh, dogs. I mean, I was talking to uh, a lady who specialises in Romanian street dogs. I was talking to her online. Really interesting, uh, interesting lady. But we were noticing that there is a lot of similarities between the Southeast Asian street dogs, the Hong Kong specials, the Singapore specials, and the Romanian street dogs. But there's ever so slight differences which does have a sort of generalised change mm. but at the same time every dog is different. I guarantee yeah. that if you took your two, Jay's two, my three 
they probably all have different personalities because do you know what? The four of us in this room have all got different personalities as well. Yeah. Even though we may have similar upbringings. You know, my sister and I, although we're, we're very close and we're brother and sister, we were brought up in the same way, we were brought up in the same house, we were treated the same way, but we're quite different people. Yeah. You know? So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm one of four. And we've been all chosen different professions, all live in different countries, all very different. Yeah. Um, and all had exactly the same upbringing. I think, you know, what you mentioned about the puppy mills, it's... I think perhaps when people buy from one of the one of these uh, breeders, maybe there's the assumption that because it's a pure breed, they don't have yeah. to go out and seek training yeah. and behavioural things until perhaps they start to notice it. And I'm not saying it's too late then, but it would have helped if it had been earlier. Of course. I think perhaps maybe it's a sort of blessing in disguise. People feel that with the the specials or the adopted ones, they preempt it a little yeah. bit. Maybe yeah. there is yeah. some more reactivity expected and therefore you get training quite early yeah. rather than oh it's a pure breed of course it's not going to be reactive well surprise yeah but they are all different and that's, that's what's great about them yeah well absolutely I mean that's it's one of the blessings of having a dog mm. and enjoying having them in your life yeah yeah I mean you get the same with people like to put dogs and people in columns and go oh this is a rescue dog oh this is a pedigree oh this mm. is a big pedigree this is a small pedigree and they have different degrees of who they think needs what treatment. And that's why you end up with lots of small dogs with lots of behavioural problems because people just don't bother training them. Yeah. You know, and the same with pedigree. It can't hurt anyone. So they just got to pick up a dog. But, yeah. <laughs> but then that little dog ends up getting terrified, runs up to a big dog out of fear and attacks it. Yeah. The big dog retaliates and now the big dog needs to get put to sleep because the little dog's dead. You know, <laughs> whose fault's that? I mean, I'm not going to say whose it is, but I mean, it's certainly owners. unfair. <laughs> it's the owners. You know? So it's it's an interesting uh, topic, to be honest, because the argument between nature and nurture is mute because you've got to have nature and nurture together to create an individual. So I always find it strange when people start arguing between nature and nurture because it doesn't make sense. You know, everybody's influenced by their environment everyone's influenced by their learned experiences everyone's influenced by their social experiences and of course everyone's influenced by their genetics you know the bigger you are the less likely you are to be massively anxious Mm -hmm. you know if you're maybe slightly less imposing that's understandable that you might be in more intimidating certain situations and vice versa in different situations so the environment's a big one for me I think even as I mentioned, living in Hong Kong in, in a village in Clearwater Bay, the, the morning dog walk, the lunchtime dog walk, the evening dog walk, every single one of them, Emily and I were anxious walking the dogs because we knew that we were going to be going past the village dogs that were mm. off, off leash and like to run around. And if we knew that, you know that Nacho oh, knows that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and therefore, they are reactive to any dog that comes near them because they're sort of preempting it. It's barking to go away from me, I don't, I don't like it, yeah. before they get a chance to get you know, what they think Too could close. be attacked. Yeah. So just being in Singapore, we're lucky to have um, a bit of space out here in the East Coast and walking around here, it's very relaxing every yeah. time. So it's, it, it's been a big, is. big change um, in, in especially Nacho's attitude. He's a, he's a much calmer individual well, these even, days. Even from me seeing them the first time versus now, mm. I can see a marked difference in mm. both of them, yeah. to be honest. But, uh, and that's lovely to see. But I mean, at the same time, you're in a very nice, quiet area of Singapore. We've got clients that live in the CBD. So the dogs are not necessarily dog reactive, but they're very traffic reactive or they're very people reactive because there's just so much going on. Um, And similarly, where I am, I'm out near Clemente Forest and there's quite a few jungle dogs roaming around there. And I do notice that a lot of the dogs do be a little bit more dog reactive unless you put in the work. So I'm lucky enough that I know how to do that and my dogs are no longer reactive towards them. And as a result, they can kind of get on well with some of the stray dogs. You know, they're just yeah. they're still just dogs. That's what a lot of people forget. Yeah. <laughs> As a dog, as a dog, they can communicate yeah. with each other much better than we can communicate with them. Yeah. Ours, when, whenever we used to take them for a walk to, say, go to the beach with friends of ours who had two rescues that were huge, ours, who have generally been quite reactive in the past with other dogs, you let them off the leash on the beach and they just fall into a fall very quickly. They yeah. just sort of fall in line. These other two were bigger, 
So Nacho probably tried to growl a couple of times, learn his place very quickly, and then just followed them around for the next I mean, five hours. When you take away that barrier, that restraint, yeah. it makes a big difference. And to, I'm, I'm going to really simplify it here so that people can kind of understand why that is. But if you've got a dog on a leash or behind a gate or cornered, mm-hmm. all mammals have freeze, flight, and fight. But if you're on a leash, you can't hide, you can't run away. So that leaves fight, which is why there's so much leash reactivity and barrier reactivity. But you take them off the lead and then you're giving them all three options, which means they've got more time to analyze the situation. They're able to socialize more appropriately because they don't have this thing holding them back. And it just makes all the difference. With that said, if it's not go and let all the dogs off the leash yes. right now exactly, is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. because if your dog is reactive yeah. you can't just be letting them off lead in fact in my opinion unless you have trained your dog and you know your dog's got good recall you've got no business letting that dog off leash no. good focus and recall yeah yeah. it's, it's the catch 22 isn't it we know that they're more anxious on the lead but if you let them off the lead you're going to be anxious because there's a you probability of something happening until you are completely confident in, in the training, as you say. Yeah. So it's it's finding the right time for us in the dog runs here and letting Nacho and Nala have a run around together. Um, but but yeah, they're much, much better uh, than they were so that the training continues. That's great. Okay, well, it's been absolutely fantastic having you on here. Yeah, thank you so much for the invite. Could you let us know as well, how do our listeners find Buddy Bites? So our website is www buddybites.sg um, for our Singapore website um, you can message us through the website you can message us through our Instagram which is buddybites.sg again very easy to find um, ask for me I'll be the one that responds awesome awesome we'll have all of that in our show notes as well so for those of you listening you can download the show notes and you'll be able to find it there as well okay absolutely awesome. thank you very much thank you very much and to everyone listening out there I hope you've enjoyed that and if you want to reach out to Chris at Buddy Bites, please do that. We're going to have all of that in the show notes. And as always, if you're having any issues with your dog's behaviour or training, please reach out to Noble Canine. We'll be more than happy to help. Have a good one.